Does the idea of public speaking make your heart start pounding and your palms get sweaty? Even if you're not addressing a big crowd at a convention or a business conference, when you've got a lot riding on the outcome, like a presentation to an important sales prospect, to your boss, to your board of directors, or pitching to a group of investors, it is so easy to get tongue-tied. How do you keep your nerves from getting the better of you? My next guest, public speaking and communications expert Stephanie Scotty, will tell you how. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Stephanie Scotty is one of only a handful of contemporary speech coaches who has dedicated her entire career to preparing speakers for high-stakes events. Her long and rich professional history began the moment she accepted her college degree and launched a career as a public information officer for what was then the largest federal speakers bureau in the nation. What that meant was that at the age of 22, she was already working with key policymakers in the federal government, including the president's cabinet, preparing them to speak on energy policy. Since those early days, Stephanie has coached thousands of high-level decision makers in diverse and recognized regional, national, and global companies. She's a driven individual whose sense of accomplishment is graciously measured by the success of those she's mentored. And what I really love the most about her is that her unique expertise enables clients to consistently outperform the competition, gain recognition, win new business, shape policy, and influence decision makers. Stephanie's expertise in public speaking and communications has been featured in many national publications over the years, and most recently, she's a regular contributor to the online publication Smart Blogs for Smart Briefs, Reagan, and Huffington Post. Stephanie also publishes her own proprietary training materials and has been named the 2016 winner of the Enterprising Woman of the Year Award. What a treat to have her here on the show. Welcome to Business Confidential now, Stephanie. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to be here and, and share this information with your audience. Oh, this is going to be such fun. You know, surveys have shown time and again that one of the biggest fears is of speaking in public. And some polls, some people would rather die than make a speech or a presentation. Why do you think that is? So that was actually a line on, on Jerry Seinfeld, the show from years ago, about how people would rather be dead rather than get up and give a speech. And I think there's so many reasons for it. But the, the main one is that I hear from people consistently is they're concerned about being perceived or being the center of attention. And that leads to concerns about being judged or not getting things right. But what happens to you whenever you're about to perform, everybody across the board, even most seasoned people, is you actually have this shot of adrenaline that goes through your body. So it's actually a physical reason why you have that fear. It's a kind of a, a flight, a fear flight or fight kind of mode that you go into because of this adrenaline rush. 
So the key is to really learn how to manage that adrenaline so that it doesn't get the better of you, but you, in fact, use it to your advantage. So the fear is real. There's a physical reaction that happens that kind of feeds it a little bit, but there are alternative things you can do to help manage that. Let's get down to some brass tacks. Let's talk about the top three challenges you've seen executives and senior managers have when preparing or delivering a powerful presentation. You know, there are some themes that come up that I'm happy to share today. And there's also, I've got to add just a caveat to that, because every individual is slightly different. And how it's addressed for each individual is, again, slightly different. But there are themes that emerge. And the first one is I find no matter who they are, where they are in an organization, the number one thing is they don't narrow down their message. You know, we're all experts of one sort of another. And sometimes in our effort to share too much or to share what we know, we share too much. And in that, we actually share nothing. Nothing sticks. So the number one thing I work with people on is can I easily define your message, your presentation, in one simple sentence? One core takeaway message. For those of your listeners that perhaps listen to TED Talks, in the TED world, they call it your idea worth sharing. Is it a clearly defined message so I easily easily and quickly get it? Hardest thing for people to do, no matter where they are in the organization. That's That's the number one theme I see emerging. The other one is that People don't realize the importance of just simply being themselves and allowing themselves to connect with their audience. I frequently tell people, if you could imagine just sitting down and talking to a friend, a colleague, over a beer, a cup of coffee, however you would do it, but that's really where you want to be with, uh, with your audience. You want to be having a conversation with them. Yes, it's larger. You know, you might be on a stage, you might have a microphone, you may have lights on you. All those things are reality. But you want to connect with them, and you want to feel accessible to them. And that's when you build the rapport, and that transfer of knowledge really takes place. It's in that you're really easygoing and having a conversation. And the third thing that I notice is that people don't practice out loud. And Hannah, I can't tell you the importance of practicing it out loud. You know, if you have it on paper and you've written yourself a script and you think, got it, this is it, I can pretty much promise you it's really only 70% done. You may think it's 100, but it's really only about 70. Because when you say it out loud, that's when you find out what makes sense and what doesn't. What trips you up? You know, what will work? So that's the number one thing. It allows you to edit and make it more smooth flowing, make the information more understandable. And second, you actually find out how loud, how long it is. You never know the length of a presentation until you actually say it out loud. So those are the three things. Focusing on that core message, know that it's important to connect with your audience, and to practice out loud so you find out how it's going to sound to others. Just from my limited experience, it sounds like that that being able to connect that number two and being yourself, especially for senior managers that are used to having so many layers and not letting their real self come through in part because they're afraid of not being in command. How do you get people to kind of loosen up and let go? That's so true, and it's so easy to put up a facade. And many times executives also think just because I said it, they should get it. 
and none of that truly works in its entirety. So there's a couple ways. First of all, if it's an executive that's speaking at a big event, what's really important is to get that person at that venue where they're going to be speaking, perhaps the night before or the day before, and actually have them on stage practicing it. Because the more they're familiar with their environment and their surroundings, the more likely they're going to be able to let down that facade and be themselves. You know, part of what creates that, that sense of separation from your audience is that you're not oriented. So getting them there, getting them oriented is huge, and having them practice out loud in the environment where they'll be speaking will help them build that rapport. Another thing executives can do, or really any speaker can do, is don't wait until you go on stage till you start talking to the people. But be out and amongst the crowd if you can. Greet them as they come in the door. Shake their hand. Simply by making that type of connection, you've already started to build the rapport so that when that executive gets up on stage, they're talking to people that they've already connected with in some way. So those are two really good tricks that people can use in order to be more of themselves when they actually get up there to speak. That's really helpful. So let's talk about some misconceptions that managers have about being a great speaker. What are some myths that are out there? Oh, you know, that goes back to the delivery and the content piece of it. I'm going to talk first about that delivery, actually standing up and talking and build that rapport. It's important to know first that content drives delivery. Back up a minute. And that you want to make sure your content is really strong, and as a speaker, you believe in what you're saying. You've got to connect with the message yourself if you want the audience to connect with it. So number one is realize that content will drive your delivery. And if you don't believe in what you're saying, it's going to come across. In some way, I'm going to pick up that something doesn't quite make sense here. So the number one conception is for people to think that the content doesn't matter. I just have to give a slick delivery. And that's not the case. The audience wants you to connect with them. That will go into delivery for just a minute. The, content, the audience does want you to connect with them. And they can be very forgiving if you make yourself accessible. If you have people, people want to like you and they want to be able to relate to you. So it's not just about being slick or being charming or having this finesse. It's about really being accessible to people and having them be able to, again, relate to you. Those are two of the, the biggest misconceptions. Another one that I don't know if I'd put in the misconception category, but it's something that does contribute to being a great speaker. So perhaps I could just share that with folks is that many times when people speak, what they don't realize is they think everything's going to be taken care of for them before they get to the, to the environment or the, the venue where they're going to be speaking. And they never ask questions. And it's so important to ask some questions before you get there. For example, you'll want to know about the purpose of the event or the expectations of the audience. You know, why is it you speaking before this audience at that time or at this time? And you know, that includes an internal audience in a B2B environment or a B2C environment. So if you are in the C-suite and you are being asked to speak at even an internal meeting, to really understand why you and why you before this audience. It will give you great insight as a speaker and help you build that rapport. Another thing is to understand the speaking environment that you're going into. <laughs> so many times people don't think about this. I had a client I was working with, and, and he was in a BSC environment, first time speaking to this particular group. And I kept on saying, Richard, are they going to light you? Richard, what's the staging going to be like? Let's find out. 
and the timing didn't allow him to check into it, and he got there, and he was, in fact, lit, and he stood up to speak, and he couldn't see his audience at all. You know, when you have bright lights for video, uh, if you're being videotaped or something, it can become a problem. So he wasn't anticipating not being able to see his audience. Understanding your environment, understanding the staging, you know, understanding who's going to introduce you and how that's going to happen, all that contributes to you making a really great presentation, knocking it out of the park. Well, what do you recommend for a speaker who suddenly sees their audience start nodding out, the eyes glaze over, they're checking their phones, they're checking their watches? How do they kind of get them back on track? Oh, my goodness. That is really disconcerting when that happens. But, uh, <laughs> that could be a tough one, you know? You see them nodding off. And I think at that point, as a speaker, you have to make a decision. I mean, there's so many reasons why that can happen. And you want to make sure you're not making stuff up about it. I mean, if you're one of four speakers on a panel, it could just be timing, you know? Or if you are already in, near in the middle of your speech and you have 10 more minutes to go and they're nodding off, maybe you need to cut it back some. So as a speaker in that moment, you really need to make some assessments for yourself about what's going on here. And it takes, I'll be honest with you, Hannah, it takes a really skilled person to make those audibles because that's really what they are at that point, those last-minute adjustments that can make a difference. So let me give you some examples, if I may. Sure. If you see an audience nodding off, but you know it's just because it's the time of day, maybe it's right after lunch, perhaps, uh, and you should really consider this in developing your content, maybe you can come up with an exercise they can do. You know, get them, get them up and doing something so that it changes the energy for them. Maybe it's simply asking them to raise their hand to answer a question. But if you can engage them at that point, that can be really helpful because chances are they're just tired of sitting, you know, and they just need their energy to be shifted in some way. So that's a great way to do it, number one, is to get some audience involvement if that's appropriate. You know, another way is if you're almost done with your talk, and I always tell people to come up with two endings to a talk, one that happens sooner and one that happens later, so that if you run out of time or you see your audience nodding off and you've already given a majority of your message, you can use your first ending and bring it to a conclusion sooner and be in control of the environment, where if the audience is totally engaged and you still have time, you can always go to your second ending. So that's another way to be able to know if your talk can be cut off at some particular time and the audience can be released, you know, can, can go to their next session or whatever they have next on their agenda. That's another great tool that you can use. So it's audience involvement and knowing when to cut your talk off. That's powerful. Now let's say I'm preparing for an important presentation next week. The stakes are really high. I've got a lot riding on it. I'm nervous because this could be a make or break situation. What are the three top things that I should be focusing on to help me knock it out of the park, Stephanie? First of all, to remember that it's not about you. It's always about your audience. Sometimes in those high-stakes events, those high-stake opportunities, we get so focused on ourselves and how can we get this right, we forget it's really about our audience and putting ourselves in their shoes and trying to figure out what needs to be communicated to them, what they need, what, and what's the best way to share that information with them. So if we can make that transition from thinking about ourselves to thinking about our audience, that is huge, a big help. Second, it's not about 
perfection. You don't have to be perfect. We go back to that connection. It's about connecting with your audience. So instead of trying to be flawless, can focus on your audience, what's important to them, and engage them in the conversation. And while they might not be talking back to you, they're certainly communicating non-verbally to you. So engage them in that conversation. Because authenticity and connection always trump being perfect. You don't have to be perfect. So those are, are two thoughts to keep in mind. A third one that's more practical goes back to that whole idea of being getting oriented, and that is I tell people to walk the room. Arrive at that venue early. Walk around the room. You know, walk up to where you'll be speaking. Get to know that environment. How large is the room? How's it set up? Where are you going to stand? Can you move about? You know, even that executive who may have someone that does this type of a dance work for them, even that person needs to be sure to walk that room. The goal is to mentally transform the room from an impersonal space to a welcoming, cozy room where you as a speaker can be comfortable. And when you're comfortable, in turn, your listeners will be more receptive to your message because they'll feel more comfortable. And Hannah, I love to talk about a movie. Did you happen to see the movie, The King's Speech? came out maybe three, four years ago. Yes, yes, very good. Yeah, you may recall in one of the final scenes, the speech coach, he was doing a radio announcement, a radio program, and his coach actually decorated the room the, where he was going to be recording to his favorite room in his house. He moved the king's furniture in there. He put surroundings in there everything to make that feel comfortable to the king as the speaker. That's the same thing you want to do when you make a presentation. You want to transform that room, even if it's just mentally, to your favorite room in your house. And those people that are coming in the room to hear you, they're your guests. And what do you do in your home when you welcome guests into your home? Your goal is for them to feel welcome and comfortable. That's what you want to do as a speaker. No matter who that audience is, you want them to feel welcome and comfortable. And the best way for you to do that is to walk that room and make it your friend. You know? Make it a familiar surrounding for yourself. You mentioned a moment ago, I think it was the second point that you made, about nonverbal communication. You know, mm -hmm. I, I find that some speakers just don't know what to do with their hands. And some speech coaches or trainers for speakers would have you do these special hand gestures, and, and then some folks get so fixated on, oh, it's time to move my hand this way, no, this way, and walk this way. <laughs> what, what, what do you have to say about that? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really tough when somebody looks choreographed, and that's what you just described to me, because then as a listener, I'm gonna, it's not going to feel real to me. It's not going to feel authentic. And so I usually don't suggest that to folks that that's an approach they use. When you want to use gestures, what I suggest is that you actually, and if anybody in the audience, or even you, Hannah, if you want to try this right now, if you actually stand up and bend your arms at your elbow so that your hand is at a 90-degree angle coming out from your waist, this is a great, that's, this is your strike zone for gesturing. 
And the beauty of it is, is that your hands are above your waist yet below your shoulder, so they're usually visible to the audience. And simply by having your hands in this position, you're going to gesture. Because if you don't, you're going to feel silly. So that invites more of gesturing. Now, there are gestures that are universally understood, or supposedly universally understood in this global world today. I don't know if I feel quite safe making that statement. But there are gestures that people tend to use to make a point. So let me suggest a couple of them to you. If anybody's ever seen a debater, a debater always has their hands, their palms, out to the audience as if they're pushing something away. So if I was coaching somebody and they wanted to say, stop and think about this, I may suggest that that's the kind of gesture they want to use because that kind of a gesture, my palm up facing the audience, actually says stop. So I might suggest some of these gestures for people to use, but don't make them choreographed. You want them to kind of integrate. Again, just like you're sitting down talking to somebody, over a beer or a cup of coffee. You naturally use your hands. So that's what I would suggest people do. But the stance is elbows bent, hands at a 90-degree angle, so that you can easily gesture. Another great tip. Thank you. Now, I've, I've heard you coin something called CODE, C-O-D-E, as a framework to help leaders and presenters. Can you tell me more about that and why you think, well, why you created it and how it helps people? So CODE is actually an acronym for how you can start crafting your message all the way through standing up and delivering it. And I came up with it over the years as a result of watching people struggle. You know, somebody's asked to give a talk, and the first thing they do is they open their laptop, power it up, and start cutting and pasting from some existing PowerPoint presentation. And that really wasn't serving, serving them. You know, they weren't really getting the results they needed to get. So that can I give them a framework for thinking about this to make it easier for them to actually develop a talk? And that's where code came from. So the C stands for clarify, O is organize, D is develop, and E is really E squared because it stands for two things, express and engage. And it's a proprietary process that's been developed over the years. And Clarify basically is how do you come up with that core message, that simple sentence, that idea worth spreading. So as a result of the Clarify step, you have your core message. Organize is organizing your content, making it easily understood. Develop stands for developing your media. And in today's world, there's so many opportunities for media. And it's, but the, the corporate default tends to be PowerPoint. So how do you do PowerPoint in a way that it's powerful and supports what you're saying as a speaker? Express is your platform skills. That's your eye contact, your gestures, how you stand, how you move. And engage is a process for engaging your audience, keeping them involved in the process. And specifically the skill that's part of engage is how to manage a Q&A session. So it becomes a conversation. And so that's what CODE stands for. And it just gives you a format or a framework for developing a talk. Well, that's a great framework. And it helps people, people focus on really what's most important and what can be most effective. So I really like that. And the truth of the matter is I wish we could say that it's a linear process. And the reason why Express is at the end, the platform skills is at the end, is because you don't even want to think about delivery until you've got your content nailed. That's when you can stand up and deliver it. Because if you, again, believe in your content, 
standing up and delivering it all of a sudden becomes a piece of cake. But I wish I could say it was linear. But really, writing a talk is iterative. You know, you might get to organize the organized step and say, ooh, I need to go back and hone this core message a little bit more. Or you might get to develop and you think, oh, I need to clean up how I'm going to organize this content a bit. So it is an iterative process, and knowing that going into it actually makes me go, okay, I don't have to worry so much, versus, okay, step one is done, now I do step two. It's not quite that clean, and just knowing that helps people relax into it a little bit more. Now, I think the fact that it's iterative it makes it more powerful because the first thing is you want to get the, the idea out of your head, and then you can move it around and organize it and then polish it. Uh, just like, like writing is the same thing. Um, you know, most good writing goes through multiple edits. Exactly. That's a great description you just gave, Hannah. Thank you. Stephanie, you've got such an interesting background, and, and you achieved success at such a very early age. Since that time, who or what has influenced your work or career? I had a couple of great mentors, and the first one was really right out of college when I was working on the Federal Speakers Bureau. His name was Dr. Bob Hawkinson, and he was with Temple University, a dean at Temple, and he was a, a contractor with us. And I had an opportunity to work with Bob for three years, preparing entry-level through White House staff to go out and speak on energy policy. And what he taught me over those three years was just amazing. But the focus he always had was the one that your audience is more important than you, that it's never about you, it's always about your audience, and balancing the content and delivery. And those two points have really driven everything I've done for the past 25 years. So th that was great. So there's Dr. Hawkins. I can see how that would be valuable. You know, and and in, in hearing you speak about this, it reminds me of some of the folks that I've interviewed about the sales process. Because, I mean, they're selling a, proce uh, a product or a service. But in a way, any type of public speaking, whether it's platform speaking or just having a meeting with someone, people are selling an idea and they need to be organized, which is why I think what you have to offer here is just so incredibly powerful and valuable. Picking up on that thought, in, in a meeting or whether you're developing a talk, the one thing I suggest people ask in the moment, in the moment, is what do they absolutely need to know? And if you ask yourself that question, it's amazing, you will get an answer, and it'll be clear. And that's what it's all about, the clarity, the focus, that arrow that just nails it so that people get it and then can decide to take action. Exactly. Exactly. And there are two authors who, are, who have influenced me tremendously. One is um, Steve Krugs, who wrote the book, um, <clears throat> Don't Make Me Think. Excuse me, I couldn't think about it for a minute. Don't Make Me Think, which has absolutely nothing to do with public speaking. It's all about e-commerce. But what he talks about in the book is don't make me think. Don't make me go to your website and figure out how to spend my money. Well, I actually have a workshop called Don't Make Me Think, presentations that achieve results. And it's all about, you know what, when you're a speaker, don't make your audience have to figure out what you're saying. Don't make them think that hard. What you really want them to do is take what you're saying and take action with it. So how do you make it that simple, that clear? So Krug's book really propelled me in thinking about that further. And Daniel Pink's book, The ABCs of Selling, is, was tremendous for me in terms of thinking about speaking differently and how speaking is changing in today's world. 
and what's happening with, uh, with technology. So those are two books that have had a tremendous impact on me. Definitely worth checking out. Now, if our listeners wanted to check you out, wanted to learn more about you, your work, and the resources for your business leaders and presenters, where could they go, Stephanie? They could visit my website, which includes a blog, at professionallyspeaking.net. And if they visit the blog there, they will see there's lots of tools as well as articles that they can download or that's available to them that can support them and their efforts to become better speakers. That's really good to know. Uh, it's always nice to have some f- tools available, and especially that if they're free, <laughs> you can't beat that. That's Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely include that link on our show notes on businessconfidentialradio.com. And our, our time is just about up here, so I was wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners about public speaking. Yes, I do. That To think about the fact that every time you step up to speak, it's your brand. And I think people tend to forget that. Sometimes they just want to get through it. But if you think about, I want my audience to get it, then your brand will shine, your message will be heard, and people can act. So I often say, you know, what's at stake? It's your reputation. So really give that some thought whenever you step up to speak, knowing that that you can knock it out of the park. Just take the steps necessary in advance and prepare for that opportunity. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much for these powerful tips and strategies, Stephanie. I've taken some notes here while we talk, and I'm definitely going to start using these. They're great action items we can all start using immediately to communicate more persuasively and with more power and influence. Thanks again for your time and for being on the show. It's been a pleasure, Hannah. Thank you for the opportunity, and take care. You too.